All right, so we're continuing our spiritual warfare series, and we, we come this morning to a message that I've entitled, Satan's War on the Mind. And we're going to realize this as we go through, uh, if, if we haven't realized it already, that our minds are really one of the primary targets of the enemy. And here in the passage that we read together, there's the reference to the wiles or the schemes of the devil and the, the fiery darts of the wicked or the flaming arrows of the wicked. And although those things uh, cover a broad range of activity, they are no doubt inclusive uh, of Satan's attack upon our mind and emotions. Now, just how it is that Satan has the ability to interfere with our thinking process, I, I don't know how uh, that is the case. I, I can't explain it in the sense that you know, we, we could really comprehend like how he's able to do that, but we know that he does. I know that he does. We know it from the scriptures, and we know it also from personal experience. And we're going to see, as we look at this here, we're, we're going to see that a lot of things that we might not uh, have been aware of that were satanically uh, inspired, if you will, or, or originated with the devil, uh, a lot of those things are things that we're experiencing on a somewhat of a regular basis. But let me give you First of all, uh, some biblical examples of Satan's ability to influence people's thinking, just so you know for sure that this isn't just my opinion. This is what the Bible actually teaches. We go back to David, and we read in 1 Chronicles 21, we read an interesting thing there. It says, and, and Satan rose up against Israel, and he moved David to number the children. Of Israel. Now, numbering the children of Israel was something that the kings were forbidden to do by God. Uh, but David suddenly had this, this thought in his mind that he should do that. He did do it, and it brought about uh, God's displeasure. But we're told specifically that Satan was the one who moved him to do that. So there's David, and, and this thought comes into his head. He doesn't, of course, realize necessarily that the devil is the one who's in... in, in uh, interjected this thought into his mind, but that's exactly what has happened. Uh, that's what the Bible tells us there. Uh, fast forward to the apostle Peter. We have a similar kind of a situation where Peter, on the one hand, he's had a revelation from God. The, the, there with Jesus at uh, Caesarea Philippi, Maybe you remember in Matthew 16, Jesus says uh, to his disciples, he's there with them, he says, who do men say that I am? And they give him a variety of answers. You're Jeremiah, you're, you're one of the prophets of old. And, and then he says, but who do you say that I am? And remember, Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus then says to Peter, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father revealed that to you. So Peter has a divine revelation. God speaks to him 
A few minutes later, Jesus is going on to explain to them that the Messianic uh, program is going to be different than they thought, and, and he starts telling them that he's going to be rejected, he's going to uh, suffer, he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, and Peter, who just moments earlier had a revelation from God, Peter speaks up and he says, not so, Lord. No, that's never going to happen to you. And Jesus said these words. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not thinking about the things of God, but you're thinking the way men think. And, and so Peter was under the influence of Satan at that point. Satan had put that suggestion into Peter's mind. So we see with David and Peter, two men of God, godly men, that their, their thinking process was influenced by the devil. Now, there's other examples. Uh, Judas, we read that uh, it was Satan who put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. So the thought to betray Jesus came to Judas from Satan. In the book of Acts, the fifth chapter, we read about a couple there named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, they concocted a story. They lied. Uh, they were judged as a result of it by God uh, because they lied not to men but to God. But Peter asked them at a certain point, he says, how is it that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. And so again, Satan was the one who influenced them to come up with this scheme, to come up with this idea. And then one more, kind of a broader, more general uh, passage, uh, Paul tells us in his epistle to the Corinthians, the second epistle, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So in all of these, we see examples of Satan's ability to influence people's thinking process. Now, these satanic attacks upon the mind result in a variety of different experiences. Uh, they result in uh, experiences like condemnation, doubt, evil thoughts, destructive thoughts, fear, depression, discouragement, and despair. And what I want to do is today I want to look at just a few, uh, three of the things on the list there. So this is going to be part one of a two-part study. As I looked at all of the things that we had to cover, I realized there's no way that we could possibly do it all in one study. So we're going to have uh, a follow-up message uh, next week here. But today, we're going to look at the first three things I mentioned. We're going to look at condemnation, doubt, and evil thoughts. And we're going to see that these are some of the things that fall into this category of the fiery darts or the flaming arrows of the wicked one. They fall into the category of the schemes or the wiles of the devil. So condemnation is where we begin. One of the most common tactics of the devil is to make us feel cut off from the love and the forgiveness of God. I would say in, in my own experience in uh, talking with people and you know, counseling, giving biblical counsel to people over the past 30 plus years, I would say that this is probably the most frequent uh, tactic that the devil uses. He wants to uh, try to get people to think 
that they have been cut off from the love and the forgiveness of God. This occurs most often after some failure on our part. And so perhaps you failed in some area of your life as a Christian, and, and even though you've truly repented, or at least, you know, you've repented to the best of your ability, you still feel as though God is angry with you, or even worse, that he is totally finished with you. This is condemnation. Condemnation is designed to drive us away from God. That's exactly what Satan is wanting to do. He's wanting to drive us away from God. Whenever you are feeling you can't come to God because of something you've done, some past sin you've committed, or perhaps you're feeling God is never going to use you again because of some failure on your part, anything like that, if that's happening to you, if that has happened to you, know that you are being condemned by the devil. And like I said a minute ago, this is something that I've seen over and over and over again. I haven't just observed it in other people's lives. I've experienced it in my own life many times. This is just what the enemy does. And he will try to come in, like I said, on the heels of some failure, and he will suggest to us that that's it. We've gone too far. There's no more grace. There's no more mercy. We've exhausted God's resources in that area it's too late, it's all over, forget it. And sometimes it, it can be as severe as uh, he's suggesting those things regarding our salvation. Sometimes maybe it's in the area of some kind of ministry or service to God. No, God's never gonna use you again because after all, look what you did, look what you thought, look what you said. And, and this is just the way he operates. Anybody ever have any thoughts like that before? <laughs> You don't have to raise your hand. I'll, I'll raise my hands for you because, uh, like I said already, I have had these on many, many occasions. This is one of Satan's most common tactics, and it's one of his most common tactics because it's one of his most effective tactics. It works. People believe it. They buy into it, and they live in, in this condemnation. Now listen, there's, there's another thing that we need to talk about for just a second, and that's conviction. There's conviction from the Holy Spirit, there's condemnation from the devil. How do you know the difference between one or the other? Well, listen, this is how you know. Conviction shows us our sin, but always points to the remedy of the blood of Christ. So conviction, although it shows us our sin, it pushes us toward God to receive his forgiveness. Condemnation, on the other hand, does just the opposite. Condemnation points to our sin and then suggests to us there is no remedy. There is no mercy. There is no forgiveness. So if you've, if you've had those kinds of thoughts or those kinds of feelings, and sometimes they can come as a plague upon people's minds, again, know this. That comes straight from the devil. That's the devil's work. Now, what do we do if we're experiencing this type of a thing? Well, it's here that we can't really depend on our feelings because this is part of the problem. We, we feel condemned. And, and even in our own thinking, we could 
easily understand why we might be condemned. So this is where it's so vitally important that we stand upon God's word. This is where faith comes in. Forget how you feel. You've got to, by faith, stand upon what God has declared in his word. And in Romans 8, 1, he said this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. That's what we have to stand on. And those feelings of condemnation, no matter how powerful they might be, know this, they're not from God because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul, in that same chapter, he later goes on and he asks a series of questions. Uh, but at one point he says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That's exactly what this condemnation thing is. It's an accusation by the devil. It's a charge. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? He said, it is God who justifies. So the, the answer is nobody can bring a charge against us. God's the one who's justified us. But then he goes on and he asks this question. He says, who is he who condemns? And then he says this, it is Christ who died for you, who is risen, and who is at the right hand of God making intercession for you. So his point is obvious. Christ isn't the one condemning you. No, Christ is the one who died for you. Christ is the one who rose from the dead. Christ is the one who's, he's not condemning you. He's at God's right hand praying for you. He's interceding for you. So who is it that condemns? Well, Satan can come with these accusations. He can come with these attempts to condemn us, but he can't condemn us. All he can do is fool us into thinking that we are condemned. And that's where we have to resist that. And then we're told that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And you see, this is, we have to stand on these promises. How many of you have ever confessed your sin and not felt like you were forgiven? Anybody ever have that experience? I have. I've confessed my sin and not necessarily felt any different. This is where we stand in faith. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. So whether you feel forgiven or not is not the point. The point is God is faithful and just. And since you confessed, you can know, even though you might not feel it, you can know for certain that God has forgiven you. So this thought process that might come our way, this... Uh, and sometimes it's uh, like a nagging voice in our heads. And you see what the devil is wanting to do, he's wanting you to think that it's God who's speaking this to you. He's wanting you to think that God's the one who's saying that you're uh, lost now, that you're cut off, that there's no hope. He wants you to think that God's saying that. But that's not the voice of your father. No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that's number one. Secondly, another of the devil's darts is to try and put doubt into our mind. Try to put doubt into our mind. Satan will try to get you to doubt everything from God's existence to your own salvation, to your call to serve him. 
And he is especially concerned with casting doubt upon the word of God. Now, an important thing to remember, though, is that there is a difference between the temptation to doubt and the sin of unbelief. You see, just because there's a doubtful thought in your head doesn't mean necessarily that you've committed a sin. I think a lot of people don't realize that. I've had many people that have said to me, oh gosh, I just, I don't even know if, I don't know if I'm even going to make it to heaven. I'm so full of doubt. Well, really? Are you really full of doubt? Or are you just being bombarded with the temptation to doubt? We have to make the distinction because it's possible to be plagued by doubt and yet innocent of the sin of unbelief. You know, we can't stop certain things from happening. We, we we're talking about spiritual warfare, right? We're in a war. What happens in a war? The enemy is, is going to attack you. The enemy is going to shoot at you. You can't stop them from doing that. And sometimes you can't, there's nothing you can do to stop that, that onslaught from the devil that, that's coming and bombarding us with a temptation to doubt. We, we can't stop that from happening, but we have to recognize that that's not necessarily sin. It might very well not be sin at all. The great Victorian preacher Charles Spurgeon was very familiar with this particular temptation. He said this, my peculiar temptation has been constant unbelief. I know that God's promise is true Yet does this temptation incessantly assail me. Doubt him, distrust him. He will yet forsake you. Spurgeon is saying he was assailed by these kinds of thoughts all the time. Spurgeon, of course, resisted these temptations, but they were a very real struggle for him. And we can have these kinds of things happening to us. I experienced this kind of temptation early in the ministry. I remember being a young pastor and I had read from certain books, I'd read certain scholars and theologians who suggested uh, that the Bible in certain places couldn't be trusted, that the Bible was uh, historically inaccurate or it was perhaps uh, geographically inaccurate or scientifically inaccurate or, or something like that. And I remember Back in those days, uh, I, I remember that I, I was suddenly being assailed with, with these kinds of, of thoughts. And that thought process went something like this. Uh, these, these books that you're reading, the, these men that you're reading, uh, they're theologians who have studied the Bible for years. They know the Hebrew. They know the Greek. Uh, and you know nothing how, how could you think that you're right and they're wrong? And, and I remember just being plagued for a season by those kinds of thoughts. Does that sound familiar? Satan is always trying to undermine the word of God. You know, here's the thing about the devil. He really hasn't changed his strategy much throughout history. Because it works. He doesn't really need to change it much. He's doing the same things today that he was doing back in the very beginning. You remember, he tried to undermine the 
veracity of God's word in the garden with Eve. And he succeeded in that particular point, uh, occasion. He came to Eve, and what did he say? He said, has God really said? And he, and he sought to plant that doubt. And unfortunately, in her case, she, she embraced that doubt. But he even tried to do this with Jesus in the wilderness. You remember, he comes to Jesus and uh, he says, now, Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights and he's gonna come and tempt him, you know, take these stones and turn them into bread. But what does he say? He says, if you're really the son of God, take these stones and turn them to bread. I mean, the audacity of the devil. He's, he's trying to get Jesus to doubt his own, who he is. So if he has the audacity to do that to the very son of God, then of course he is going to do similar kinds of things with us. He's going to try to get us to doubt God's word and he will do so by at times assailing us with a temptation to doubt. What do we do when this happens? Well, we can pray, we should pray. We can cry out, Lord, increase my faith. If, if, we're, if we're feeling like we're, we're coming uh, to that place of just giving in to that pressure, we can cry to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. But not only do we pray, but we need to give ear to God's word because we're told that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, your faith is bolstered, it's built up, it's made stronger through the word of God. And so we need to be in the word of God. This is, as we're gonna see as we go further into this series, this is our primary means of victory over the devil is God's word. And then thirdly, we stand. We read in our passage today that above all, we are to take the shield of faith with which we will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the wicked one. So there's that, that place we pray, we take heed to God's word, but there's that place too where we just stand our ground. We just stand on, on what we know, what, what we've experienced. You know, Pastor Chuck used to say, never give up what you know for what you don't know. And what do you know? Well, you know, I know God saved me. I know I'm not the person I used to be. I know that God's word is true, but even in those times when we're being assailed, we, we just have to stand firm on that. Now, let me say one final thing uh, before we move on from this point. Those things that I talked about, having experienced as a young pastor, those, those doubts that would assail my mind, you know, the enemy, it's interesting how God allows these things to happen sometimes, and he actually turns the enemy's efforts around um, and, and uses the very thing that the devil was trying to do to destroy our faith to increase our faith. Back in those days when I was bombarded by these kinds of things, you know what it caused me to do? It caused me to dig deeper. It caused me to seek out more diligently the truth. And I can stand here today and, and I can say 
you know, after 30 plus years, uh, you know, I, I listen to this stuff today because it hasn't stopped. It still goes on and on. You know, people are still writing books and coming up with all of these theories about why you can't trust God's word. You know, today for me, it's like water off a duck's back. I, I listen to some of these arguments and I just think, God, how stupid. What a stupid argument, you know. I've, I've heard much more sophisticated arguments from the devil himself. And so, you know, some of these theologians today, I just think, wow, you know, what, what is the matter with these guys? But that's what God does. He, he uses these things actually to do the opposite of what the devil was hoping to do. He's hoping to destroy our faith. God uses these things to build our faith up. And listen, just know this. There is not a single historical, geographical, scientific, whatever. There's nothing that anybody could point to today, not one thing that anybody can point to today and say the Bible was wrong about this or the Bible's wrong about that. You know, they've been trying to find something. They've been suggesting this is the case. The devil's been suggesting this is the case from the very beginning of time. But you know, to this very day, no one can stand up and say, oh, the Bible was wrong about this. We just proved it. Not a single thing. Amazing. God's word is true. We can stand on it. Don't let the enemy rip you off, get you to think that you're doubting. When you're not doubting, you're just simply being tempted to doubt. And you know, here's another thing to remember. God, he's perfectly happy to help us through our doubts at times. And even if we do have doubts, the great thing is we can go to God and say, you know, Lord, help me with this. Help, help me understand this. This is, this is a little bit of a problem for me. In other words, God is not saying, don't ask any questions. Just, this is what it is. You just believe it. Don't ask any questions. Don't think about it. No, that, that's not the Christian faith. Oh, the Bible, we're, we can come with, with inquiry. We can come with questions. And when we come sincerely perplexed or puzzled by things, we can know that God's not going to turn us away or not, God's not going to condemn us and say, oh, you doubter. God's going to do what needs to be done to strengthen our faith there. And so moving on to our third and our final point for the day, evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. Another manifestation of Satan's war on our minds is evil thoughts. Now, it's certainly possible and often the case that evil thoughts arise from our own sinful hearts. So we, we have to be clear about this. We don't want to uh, think that, or I'm not suggesting that every evil thought we have is, is from the devil. Uh, many aren't. Many just originate from within our own hearts because they're evil. The Bible's clear about that. But there are times when that is not the case, and we need to be able to distinguish between the two. So how do I know when a thought originates in my own sinful heart or is uh, coming at me from another source? How do I know the difference? Well, one of the ways is, uh, do you take pleasure in the thought? Do you delight in the thought? And if you can say, no, I hate this thought, I, I, I detest these thoughts, then you could be 
pretty confident that this thought isn't yours. This thought is the enemy's. He's, he's interjected it. Let me give you, uh, well, let me just ask you a couple questions. Have you ever been praying and suddenly had your mind assaulted by blasphemous thoughts? Have you ever had an experience like that? And you just think, what, what, what was that? Oh, and, and I've had those. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, Lord, what's the matter with me? I'm so evil. I'm so wicked. Uh, the fact of the matter is, in a case like that, no, you're, you're probably the innocent victim of a flaming arrow of Satan. See, he does things like that. Or maybe you've been worshiping. And perhaps in your times of worship, maybe you've had pornographic images flash across your mind. I mean, that's always fun at a worship <laughs> service, right? It happens. It happens. There you are. You're just worshiping the Lord, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, oh, God, forgive me. I better get out of here. The building's going to collapse. I'm such a sinner. But more than likely, when they come in that kind of way, this is the devil's activity. Have you ever gone through a period of time when your mind was obsessed by deplorable thoughts, thoughts that sickened and oppressed you, thoughts that you longed to be delivered from? If so, know this, you're not alone. Many of God's faithful servants have experienced similar things. These are the, the uh, assaults of the devil. One of the most striking examples of this kind of warfare is seen in some of the experiences of John Bunyan. John Bunyan uh, is the author of the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe you're familiar with that book. Uh, let, me, let me quote to you from Bunyan's own words found in another book that he wrote, Grace Abounding. Listen to what he said. This, he's describing his own experience. He says, at a certain point, a very great storm came down upon me. First, all my comfort was taken from me. Then darkness seized upon me, after which whole floods of blasphemies, both against God, Christ, and the scriptures, were poured upon my spirit to my great confusion and astonishment. These blasphemous thoughts were such as stirred up questions in me against the very being of God and of his only beloved Son, and whether the holy scriptures were not rather a fable and cunning story than the holy and pure word of God. He went on and he said, these suggestions with many others, which at this time did make such a seizure upon my spirit and did so overwhelm my heart, both with their number and continuance and fiery force that I felt as if there were nothing else but these from morning to night with me. And as though indeed there could be room for nothing else, and also concluded that God had in very wrath to my soul given me up to them to be carried away with them as with a mighty whirlwind. So Bunyan is describing his experience of just this thing that I'm talking about here, his, his mind being filled with these blasphemies. Uh, his description was much longer. I shortened it for our purposes today, but he goes into much greater detail, and it, 
it, it is really uh, astounding the things that he experienced uh, as, a, as a Christian. And he lived in a time when there was much uh, persecution. He spent 13 years in prison uh, because of his uh, faith in Christ. But, but this was what was going on in his mind at that time. Uh, here again, Charles Spurgeon also serves as an illustration. Having gone through a prolonged period of blasphemous assaults upon his mind and being near the point of despair, he began questioning even uh, his salvation. After all, if your mind's being bombarded with these, these blasphemous thoughts or perverted thoughts or whatever, uh, there is that point where you have to stop and think, wow, am I even really a Christian? Could, could I even really be saved and think this way? Spurgeon came to that place. He finally confided in an older godly man who asked him one simple question. The question was this, do you hate these thoughts? Young Spurgeon replied, yes, I do. The man said, then they are not yours. Send them on to the devil to whom they belong. Send them on to the devil to whom they belong. They are not your thoughts. And so we have to recognize, we have to realize that there are indeed times when these experiences that we are having are rooted in the devil's Activity. They're rooted in his attack against us. How do we overcome this kind of attack? Well, three things. Number one, refuse to own the thought. Just refuse to own it. It's not my thought. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm depraved. I know I'm perverted, but I'm not that depraved or perverted. <laughs> the devil is more depraved and he's more perverted. You know, some of, the, some of the things that have come into our minds at times, you just say, no, I don't own that. And then certainly we would never act on them. We refuse to act on those thoughts. And then thirdly, turn them into occasions to praise and to pray. Now, I don't, I don't know that we can, again, necessarily stop these things from happening. As someone once said, you... You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest on your head. Uh, you know, there, there are times when we just, we can't stop it, but what we can do is we can turn it around. So if my mind is assailed with blasphemy, I can take that and say, you know what, I'm gonna praise God even more. I'm gonna praise him even louder. I'm gonna praise him even harder. If our minds are filled with perversion or hatred or whatever uh, toward another person, we can say, Lord, I'm going to take this as an opportunity to pray for that person, to pray blessing, to pray salvation, to pray whatever the case might be. And you see, as we do that, in a sense, we're turning the enemy's weapons back upon himself. And, and there is a point, I think, where uh, if he knows every time he assails you with this type of a thing, it's going to lead to you praising God more and praying more, there's a point where he's probably going to move on and go hassle somebody else. So we, we can turn the enemy's uh, weapon back on him. There's a great illustration of this back in the, the story of David. David had these different mighty men in the books of Chronicles 
uh, talk about the mighty men. And one of the men was named Benaniah. And it says that he wrested the spear from the enemy's hand and he slew the enemy with his own spear. And so we can do that. So these are some of the things that Satan employs in his assault upon our minds. But as I, I mentioned at the beginning, there are more, and we've just touched on, on part of them here. And I, I want to come back and finish up next week looking at um, destructive thoughts. There, there are other kinds of thought patterns as well that are that are destructive in that people hear these things in their mind and then they, they start uh, buying them, they start believing them, they start acting upon them, and then these things end up destroying their lives. We want to uh, expose those as being the work of the devil. And then there's, there's fear. We call sometimes today uh, these kinds of fears phobias. And uh, these exaggerated kinds of fears and depression, discouragement, despair. So we'll come back next time and we'll finish up and look at those other things and see how each, each of them as well, as we've been talking today, each of them are connected back to Satan's war upon our minds. But let me remind you of just two things here. The Bible tells us, it gives us two, two different pictures of Satan. There's one picture Peter gives to us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's one picture. But the other picture is that he's subtle. Paul is concerned, to, and he writes to the Corinthians, he says, I'm concerned that just as, as the devil by his uh, subtlety, deceived Eve, that you would also be deceived. And, and so we have to understand that he comes in both ways. He comes sometimes subtly, stealthily. He's hiding behind, sometimes like we're saying, he's hiding behind these thoughts. He's wanting you to think these are your thoughts. Or he's wanting you to think these are God's thoughts. That's the subtlety. He's not coming out and saying, hey, I'm the devil. I'm trying to get you in a trap so I can destroy you. But there are other times when he's going about, as Peter said, and he's manifesting himself more as a roaring lion. And so Peter tells us, and this is, this is the application is true in, in either case. He says, be sober and be vigilant. Be sober means to be uh, clear-minded. And to be vigilant means to be watchful. And so that's, that's how we need to approach this whole issue. We, we've got to be thinking clearly about it, and we have got to be watching for these kinds of things. And as we identify, as, as we see them, then we identify them for what, we, for what they are, and then we take the, the biblical instruction like we've looked at today, standing in faith, standing on the word of God, believing the promises of God, calling upon God in prayer, and that's how we gain the victory. So Lord, we thank you that you have uh, given us your word to expose the tactics of our adversary, 
You've given us your word and your spirit to strengthen us to stand firm against the work of the devil. And Lord, I would just pray today for anybody that uh, this message is resonating with them, this message is uh, describing their experience. Lord, I pray that they'd be encouraged today to know uh, that you're greater, you're stronger. Lord, that you will strengthen them and give them power and victory over the enemy. Lord, we pray that you would drive back the work of Satan in lives today as you expose his activity and as you strengthen us in faith to overcome his efforts. So bless your people to that end. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.